Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by author D.L. Mayfield. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to be on the pod today and talk a little bit with me. As her pen name, I guess we might say, D.L. Mayfield, Danielle is a writer who lives in Portland, Oregon. Her most recent book is The Myth of the American Dream, Reflections on Affluence, Autonomy, Safety, and Power. So we'll talk more about that here in a bit. But first, can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, sure. I am somebody who grew up super duper Christian. My dad's a pastor. I was homeschooled. Uh, Ended up going to Bible college here in Portland, Oregon to become a missionary. And... I ended up living and working with refugees here in Portland, and it sort of changed my life, just really introduced me to this uh, idea that America is not an awesome place for everybody to Mm. live in. And, uh, you know, maybe there were some issues with my own faith being perceived as good news to people who weren't just like me. And and so it really started to be on asking some questions about, you know, who is America really good news for and who is evangelical Christianity really good news for. So that was kind of what I talk about a bit in my first book, which is called Assimilate or Go Home Notes from a Failed Missionary on Rediscovering Faith. And it does explore some of this savior complex stuff and, Mm -hmm. you know, this journey of realizing my reality is not the same reality that many other people live. Um, You know, I think growing up, it was easy for me to understand poverty in other countries, but not in my own. And so mm. just learning about that, I, I feel like I've grown in this idea of since I'm a person of faith, I have a personal responsibility to my neighbor um, yeah. and to ensure that my neighbor is flourishing. And so that's that's kind of what I've been on a trajectory ever since then is trying to say, oh, then how can I love God by loving my neighbor here and now? And, and uh, there's a lot of work to be done <laughs> in that area in, in the United States. Yeah. Um. Your first book sounds equally interesting as well, but I've learned it's great to just talk about one book because then I can have you on later for the second right. book and make a good oh, conversation there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah, usually authors I talk to you, their books are good enough where it's like, oh, I we really could have made this one pod. Um, boy, I just watched the RNC last night, and you're really like shaking me last, shaking me already here, Danielle. So dropping some, dropping some truth bombs there. I like it. What has it meant? So it sounds like you've kind of undergone some shifts then in how you understand Christianity or what it means to be a Christian. Do you, would you mind mm-hmm. sharing a little bit about what that looks like or did or didn't or looks like now that is? Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty complicated relationship with, I would say, you know, American evangelical Christianity because, of course, I'm so grateful to it. It's my community. It introduced me to the Bible, introduced me to Jesus, uh, taught me to take the Bible very, very, very seriously. Very, and yeah. that when I read the Bible, 
and when I read the Bible, I should expect my life to change, right? If mm, I read it yeah. and was being obedient to the Holy Spirit. So I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, like many, I've, I've really grieved the past few years of having my eyes open to how evangelicalism, white evangelicalism in the United States has really aligned itself wholeheartedly with uh, certain political ideologies. And yeah. I, I see I see a lot of grasping after power and wanting to retain power and actually believing that God, you know, wants them to be in power. And it's just really at odds with what I see Jesus talking about in the Gospels and, and how I see the early church understanding their relationship to power and, and what the role of a Christian is. And so for me, it sounds so cliche, but doesn't feel cliche to say that I want to spend the rest of my life being a disciple of Jesus. Mm. And at this point that has meant I need to distance myself from evangelical Christianity. And I would say even in the past few weeks, I've had to really reckon with the fact that I can no longer call myself an evangelical Christian. Wow. Well, again, as we're recording this last night was the last night of the Republican National Convention during this week, the vice president like substituted the flag for Philippians two. I don't know if you saw that, Danielle. Were oh yeah, replacing God with old glory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with yeah, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith. Who I can almost quote that for the joy that was set before him. You know, I don't, but replace it with to the run the flag. race before us. Yeah, right, and it yeah. So let's talk about your book. Um, Cause we're just, you're already jumping right into it and, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, so you, your most recent work is the myth of the American dream. Give me that full title again. Yeah. The myth of the American dream reflections on affluence, autonomy, safety, and power. And these are just four values that I think are way more ingrained in our lives than we would like to admit. And I also sort of play around with them being uh opposite values that Jesus talked about all the time. Mm. So opposite to, you know, Jesus talking about him being good news to the poor, to set yeah. liberty, the captives, to heal the blind, right? And to set the oppressed free. And yeah, it just really came out of me saying, oh, well, what's the opposite of that? And then thinking, mm -hmm. wow, affluence, autonomy, safety, and power. These are things that not only did the wider U.S. culture tell me to pursue, but actually my church did too. Mm. And that's really where I went to spend the majority of my time wrestling is, is why is it the church telling me this is good mm. when the Bible doesn't seem to say the same thing? I think I read this here in your book that you, you read that scripture in the gospels and rather than just kind of like skipping over it, like you really like thought about like, wait a minute, does this mean what it really says? Mm -hmm. And that just, that's interesting. So tell me, tell our listeners, what you're kind of hoping to accomplish with the book, what's your goal for the book? Yeah, I mean, I am somebody who I have had the privilege of living in refugee communities and communities with lots of immigrants and other people experiencing poverty um, for, you know, the past almost 15 years now. And so I've been really blessed to be in relationship with people who um, are struggling in the United States due to policies, due to racism, due to sexism, due to all sorts of, you know, systematic and institutional, you know, as a Christian, I would say sins, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so 
I think it's because of my relationship with these communities that when I was coming back to the Gospels and I would read like in Luke 4 of Jesus announcing his ministry, right, to his mm-hmm. community, when he read from the scroll that's from Isaiah 58, yeah. you know, like when when I came back and read that after years of relationship, I was able to say like, oh my gosh, I hope this is true because I know a lot of people who are poor. I know a lot of people who have been captives. I know a lot of people who are sick and like need healing both physically and, you know, psychologically. Mm -hmm. And I, I know people, right. Who have been oppressed. Like I hope Jesus is good news for them because like my neighbors need a liberator, right? They need peace and they need shalom. They need the good news now. And so it was just actually a really transformative and almost comforting moment to be like, this is who Jesus is. And this is who Jesus is good news for. And then, you know, I think the next part of that would be, um, well, I don't really fit into those categories necessarily. I mean, there's some elements, right, of... I have some sort of spiritual poverty, mm-hmm. but I am not economically disadvantaged, right, currently. Right. And so so what does Jesus' message mean for people like me? Like, is he still good news for the rich? Is Jesus mm. good news for those who put other people in prison? Is That's he good news for those who are obsessed with their own wellness or who are actually oppressors? Mm. So I think that's the fundamental tension of this book I wrote is I'm trying to say what what Jesus is good news, right, can sometimes feel like bad news to people who are privileged or people yeah. who uh, benefit from a system, an economic or religious or cultural system that mm-hmm. is unequal and unjust. And, you know, fundamentally, that is what America is and so it'd be interesting right yeah. to go to the republican national convention or or to any of these things um and it's a, a conversation i've been having with people lately uh because i've been involved in some of these protests in portland and yeah. um you know there's there's counter protesters and there's, mm-hmm. there's people who are who are quite quite proudly white supremacist or uh quite proudly uh you know pro trump and and all this stuff and and you know they're they're honestly very lumped together Right in in Portland, and so, you know, they'll they'll try and get in conversations with me, and they really love to talk about the Constitution. But for me, I I learned this from um, this wonderful speaker, theologian, writer, uh, Mark Charles, who is an Indigenous man, and he really mm-hmm. pointed out that you know the U.S. Constitution only gives rights to one kind of person. Yeah. Right. White, and so even with men, some of these right? uh, super. Yeah, and white landowning males, right? You had to yeah, own yeah, land. Yeah. And so so that's really the only person that the Constitution protects. And, you know, it doesn't mention women at all, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't matter. <laughs> and, you know, uh, African-Americans are three, three you know, three-fifths of the person. And, and, in, and indigenous people are uh, merciless savages, right? Mm-hmm. That's our Constitution. Yeah. That's what America was founded on. Now look at the Republican National Convention. Look at who's in power. Mm-hmm. Look at who they're trying to keep in power. Look at whose rights are being prioritized. It is white 
landowning males. I mean, Trump himself is like a pretty intense <laughs> uh, picture of that, right? And actually, he's so interesting because he loves to put his name on his properties. Yeah. It's like a hallmark of him yep. just to say like, I owned this land. And so to me, it's just like, it's it's all been there from the beginning. This, this mm. isn't new. None of this is new. Yeah. I, however... And re- relearning a lot of history just based on how I grew up. And, and a part of the book, actually, the very end when I'm talking about this value of power, I do uh, talk about going back and buying some of my textbooks from oh. my like Christian conservative curriculum, the history ones, especially the U.S. history. Yeah. And I bought a few on eBay. And I went back and reread them. And it's just make America great again, you know, over and over and over. Mm. But I think it's especially sad because these are from a Christian worldview. And it just says that from the beginning, God wanted these white European Protestants to take over this land. And because, you know, Native American people worshiped creationists at the creator, like they weren't allowed to lead it. And, you know, all this like really horrifying stuff. And so I have a lot of unlearning to do because of my Christian faith and my historical background. And I, I think that's really hard when you've been raised to say, you're supposed to have everything right about God. And now I'm like, right. wow, I'm in this phase of saying, I have gotten so much wrong, mm. right? <laughs> and it was actually taught to me. And that's kind of what the book is about. It's really about me wrestling and grieving with, you know, how wrong the history I was taught was, but mostly how small, how small the vision of the gospel was in my own community and it's just a grief i don't think i'm ever gonna get over it it's because there's there's still truth in it and i don't want to say there isn't right but it is just way too small it's way too small for me well you've i want to ask you like a million questions just on what you said there alone but (laughs) i want to come back to one point about that disorientation um you write in the book that your deeply held beliefs about the goodness of God, the goodness of your country, like wilted in front of you. Mm-hmm. And I'll speak as someone who's kind of experienced that sense of just disillusionment and disorientation. Can you speak to what that was like for you and for our listeners? Yeah, I think it's, I think it continues to happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's become important to recognize that a part of being a follower of Christ means that we should not be surprised when um, religious leaders or religious institutions end up siding with the empire, right? Instead yeah. of doing the work of God's kingdom, right? And so that's that's like a scriptural thing we see over and over again. And so mm-hmm. for me, I think it's really important not to just point fingers at like evangelicals or white evangelicals. And and instead, it's really important for me to interrogate myself and say, I have this within me, right? I want to, I want to deal with this within me because this is who I am. And so I'm not interested in necessarily burning it all to the ground, but I think I have reached a point where I'm like, if something has rotten fruit, it needs to be pruned, And I am not seeing the fruit of God's spirit coming out of white evangelicalism, to be perfectly Mm. honest. But I am seeing God at work everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And instead of it being from my community, which I think has been a a shift I've had to take, right? And I used to think I'm going to be the missionary. I'm going to be the one to go and convert people. I'm going to go change people. And even recently, it's been 
well, maybe I can just try and convert white evangelicals. Maybe I can try and change them. And that's that's a little bit of what my book is about. But I think in the end, right, what I'm most excited about is saying God's kingdom is just bubbling up from the most unexpected places. And this is what Jesus told us would happen. So I shouldn't be surprised, but you know, I get to just be this tiny part of this kingdom that is coming through, you know, all these people who don't have power. And it's actually kind of exciting. Like we all know the locus of the church, right. Is shifting to the global South. Like, right. right? It's from the continent of Africa. Like I think Christianity has already shifted a long time ago and it's just my tiny little community that has had a really hard time accepting (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, some great points there. Um, One of my previous guests, Ashley Easter responded to a question. I asked like, you know, what do you see for the future or what do you think? And, And she mentioned like a third grade awakening, like happening outside the church in a sense, like, you know, the church can't stop the spirit from bringing change. So the great points. Um, I wanted to ask you about, so you kind of talk about these problems of this white middle-class evangelical theology and you use the word sin and something evangelicals have no problem talking about sin, but something else that an aspect of sin that they tend to struggle with is this idea of systemic sin. So I'm curious uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that an aspect that evangelicalism, Christianity as a whole needs to talk more about? Yeah, I think we're really seeing the limits of the white evangelical imagination when it comes to systemic issues, just even looking at, you know, how they've responded to, uh, you know, like wearing a mask in public as a public health measure, (laughs) right? Like, who are the loudest people, you know, protesting that? It's, in my experience, it's been Christians. And so looking at how we don't really have a lot of, um, yeah, a theological capacity for that either. I I always Mm -hmm. reference this book divided by faith, which was written, you know, like almost 20 years ago, I think by two sociologists who studied why evangelical churches in the United States are so racially segregated. And they really hone in on this point. Like when you look at all the data, when they looked at all their interviews, it's because why evangelicals simply don't understand racism as a systemic issue. And in fact, they aren't able to like our theology is so highly individualized. Like you become a Christian when you say an individual Lord's prayer, Mm -hmm. which I think, I think I would have continued on honestly in that mind space. If I hadn't become friends with so many people who come from collectivist cultures. Right. And so a lot of my friends are refugees. Mm -hmm. They're Muslim. They come from, uh, communities actually all over the globe who are just so much more collectivistic. And it, it wasn't until I saw them operating and caring for each other and really saw some, I would say, Christ-like aspects, right, of how mm-hmm. they interact with their community and take care of each other that I was like, oh my gosh, there is something really weird about our obsession yeah. with individual rights, yeah. you know, and even like individual salvation being about the afterlife. Um, and not really talking a ton about our collective responsibility to each other here and now. So that's something I think, I think that's what we've got to focus on right now is how can we help each other expand our idea of not just like systemic racism or systemic sin, but what does like systemic shalom look like? How mm. are we supposed to be a part of ch- changing the systems mm-hmm. to actually 
bring flourishing to everybody and not just a few. Yeah. Well, that's good. So I want to ask you this. You kind of mentioned it there about the afterlife. You you talk about somewhere in the book about your your gospel kind of expanding. And and I think you mentioned it here already. Um, I'm curious uh, to use the word soteriology, which talks about like how is salvation accomplished? What does that look like for for those not familiar with the word? Um, I'm curious, has your changing view of the gospel shifted your views of what is salvation? Yeah, I mean, this is a really hard question to talk about because it is uh, such a like a bounded mm-hmm. set within evangelicalism. So, like, if you if you say the wrong thing, then you're outside, right? The camp, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so I just want I just want to be clear that I don't know anymore, mm. and I used to know really intensely what was mm. true, which was that only a tiny, tiny percentage of people are ever going to be saved, and a lot of them looked like me, mm. and now I am like this. I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. And I, I, all I know is that because I wanted to follow Jesus, I ended up being in a relationship with a lot of people who are not Christian and none mm-hmm. of them have converted to be a Christian like yeah, me. Yeah. And the, the love I feel for them and the desire I have to see them flourish, uh, the desire I have for them to have a safe place to live where they can raise their children, where they can cook the food that their moms cooked for them. You know, like the amount of desire I have to see them be okay is really overwhelming. Hmm. And I'm just like me, I'm just selfish, messed up, distracted me. And so I think that that love comes from God and I trust that God's love is like infinitely better, right? Than my love for my neighbors. And so I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but if, if you ask me right now, what do I most want to believe is true about God? I'm not saying this mm-hmm. is true, right. but in my heart of hearts, what I most want to be true, I, w- I would, I have had this answer like at the top of my mind for the past five years. And my answer to that would be, I want to know that those who have suffered the most on earth will feast with God in heaven. Mm. That's what I want. And that's something I see in scriptures. I see a lot of other stuff too. I mean, there's a lot in there about what happens when we die. But like, I'm not sure that it's only a tiny percentage of people who are just like me. Hmm. Well, as someone who, as someone, if I understand your past right, who's someone who trained to be a missionary, that's a big step to take. Um, I know in my youth, when I was at Bible college, uh, after Bible college, I guess, I remember kind of doing the math in my head of like, you know, 33% of the world is Christendom. Out of that, at least the, as I was taught, like a lot of Catholics aren't true Christians. A lot of Orthodox aren't true Christians. And you, you kind of start math and you're just like, right, right. Wow. I, I don't know about yeah. this. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a hard question. Um, well, I, ju- I just think we should wrestle with it more. And I think what really upsets me is I was forced to sort of, rec- you know, like wrestle with these questions in real life because I'm yeah, literally friends yeah. with people yeah. who are Muslim, right? Who are, according to my right. people, going to hell. And I was actually like 
I didn't realize this so much later, but again, I talk about this in my first book. You know, I was the person who showed like the Jesus sure, belt to some yeah, of these sure. folks and like yeah. tried to convert them. And, and they were like, no, 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 thanks. <laughs> like we really like Muhammad. And then later on, I realized yeah. like, oh my gosh, like maybe I'm the first person who told them about Jesus before they didn't know. So maybe if they had died yeah. without knowing Jesus, yeah. right, there would have been a loophole. Yeah. They would have learned about Jesus, but then I'm the one who showed them Jesus. Now they reject it. Now they're going to hell. They're going to hell because they met me. Like that's a that's a that's a lot of a burden to carry, um, right, on your shoulders. I'll take that one off. When I was in Bible college, I was taught that they're going to hell either way. So don't worry <laughs> about it. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But then I couldn't stop, and so I just I just wondered why is not why is everybody else yeah. not in perpetual yeah. anguish? If we if truly we believe, truly this, believe yep. this, why are you not all scream, screaming and crying all the time? Because mm-hmm. that's what I felt like doing. And there actually are some people who do feel that way all the time. And I sure, honestly yeah. respect them, even though they, yeah. they're living a really hard life. Um, but for me, that's, that's kind of what it came down to. Like, if I believe this is true, I remember telling my husband this and he felt so, he just gave mm-hmm. me the, the look like you, yeah, you've yeah. officially become a heretic. But I remember telling him like, if, if all of my friends are going to mm. hell, I'm going there too. Yeah. I refuse yeah. to go to heaven. And he was like, okay. But like, isn't that what Jesus would do? Isn't that what Jesus did? Yeah. I mean, that's what the creed says. It says that he w- he mm-hmm. descended into hell and said, come with me. Yeah. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to leave you here. And- no, it's good. Sorry, I love really talking to passionate people. I really like, I, re- I really, <laughs> I, yeah. I really like Jesus. And I really love this idea that he will mm. bust into hell to be with the people he loves. And I'm like, and if I feel like that, and I know that mm-hmm. I'm not a great person, uh, I'm going to trust that God is going to do everything in God's power to love redeem it. everybody. I love it. Um, thank you for your passion. One of my favorite things about this is talking to passionate people who are passionate about what they do and what they believe. Uh, what I'm hearing a lot from you, at least how I'm processing it in my language, is kingdom of God. Um. In my tradition, we mm-hmm. will pray thy king. You know, we'll pray the Lord's prayer: Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that a, is that here in what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, and I I mm-hmm. I grew up with that language too, but I never knew what it meant, and I actually felt really freaked out. Like, if you read the Gospels, that's yeah. like the number one thing Jesus yeah. talks about is the kingdom of God. You know, the number. The number two thing is is money, which no, is another thing no, we don't like to talk no. about very much. But, um, but uh, so the kingdom of God, I just felt so freaked out. Like, what does this mean? And and the Christianese language I was given in my Bible college and growing up is mm-hmm, the rule and mm-hmm. reign of God. You know, and I'm like, what okay, well, what yeah. does what does that mean? And that yeah, means you yeah. vote Republican, and that means you you know, I, I don't want to. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying this oh, is yeah, literally yeah, what yeah. we believe, right? And so I just kept thinking like, it has to mean something more and I'm missing out on it. And then I also, you know, felt really freaked out because when you read the gospels, there are a group of people that never know what the hell Jesus is talking about yeah. when he's talking and about the kingdom it? of God. Yeah. And that's yeah. the religious leaders, right? It's the, it's the people <laughs> who went to Bible yeah. college yeah. of the day. You know, it's, it's the people who were like, no, we know how you get saved. You are a very, mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. good 
Jewish person, right? And so for me being in Bible college and studying this, I was like, uh oh, I'm like a very, very, oh, very good evangelical yeah. Christian, you know? <laughs> and uh and I don't know what this means. And then again, like I kind of already talked about, it was after being in a relationship with people who really need good news here and now that I was able to see like, okay, Jesus was telling us all the time what the kingdom of God is. Like you look at the Beatitudes, that's the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor, right? Mm -hmm. Blessed are the meek. Um, You know, when somebody hits you, you let them hit the other side of you. Like it's this radical upside down kingdom, right? Is this beautiful language uh, given to us by some of our Mennonite friends, right? Is Everything is opposite to the way that the empire mm-hmm. or Pharaoh Caesar. or, you know, mammon or Satan, the way Caesar, yeah, the way they work. The kingdom of God is absolutely opposite to that. And Jesus shows us over and over again who he prioritized in his ministry, mm-hmm. right? It was kids. It was the sick. It was women. It was Samaritans. It was foreigners. It was, uh, you know, the woman caught in adultery. It's like, these are the people mm-hmm. who he lets them speak. He lets them have a testimony. He he prioritizes them. So I'm like, oh, that's what it is. But man, when you're a religious leader or trying to be one, it is really hard to understand what the kingdom of God is. That's, wow. that's kind of what I figured out. Wow. Dropping some challenging words there. Let me ask you this uh, before we take a break. I, I always think about... Um, I know there's been a huge kind of evangelical movement of folks kind of leaving evangelicalism, leaving the church in many ways. What advice would you have for someone like deconstructing, questioning, trying to find their way? What are your thoughts for them? <laughs> well, hello. I'm in your group. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't know about the term ex-evangelical because... Mm-hmm. It does sound harsh, but like I already like I already mentioned, I I do think there comes a time to be like I I simply don't mm. believe anymore what you all are saying is what the good news is, and so um, for me, I don't have advice because I feel like advice can come uh-huh. off as pretty glib, and there's like actually so yeah. much tra- trauma yeah. that people have experienced, and so I I can hear my husband who's an attachment therapist just being like. Yeah, maybe for their own mental health, they need to leave and, and you know, bless mm-hmm. them as they go. But I would say for me, um, the thing that I'm currently doing is really taking this idea that I grew up with, right? Like I've already mentioned mm-hmm. this missionary idea and this idea that God has really blessed white yeah. Protestants to like be in charge and, you know, have all the right answers about God. And and so taking all of that off my shoulders and saying like, we are not the pinnacle of God's work in the world. Wait, what are you, uh, the kingdom what are of God is about? already at work. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I get to take that off my shoulders and instead say like, I'm just this tiny yeah. little th- person who's a part of this large historic global movement mm-hmm. of God's love. And I'm just, I'm just a tiny, tiny part of it. And I get to learn from other people um, how they're experiencing God and learn at the feet of specifically those communities that mm-hmm. Jesus was obsessed with, right? I get to learn at their feet and and see how they're experiencing God. So I don't I would definitely not be a Christian, right? If white evangelical mm-hmm. Christianity is all there is. That's yeah. not all there is. That's just a tiny bit of it. Um, and so 
that's what's been healing for me and, and how I can envision moving forward is like, ow, I get to learn from so many rich, diverse communities. And, you know, that's probably one of the few benefits of COVID-19 time is like, we do have yeah. access to social media. We can follow amazing people around the world and, and even people deconstructing the faith, all that. There's a lot of wisdom that I can glean from that. And um, I'm not, I'm not so scared to, to say that anymore. You okay. Know? Let me ask you one more then, if I may. Uh, and <laughs> I, I'm kind of feel like I, I'm going to already know your answer, but like for, from a church perspective, uh, is, is there, what advice would you have for a church? I, I'm a pastor. So this is, it's a kind of a selfish question here. What advice would you have for pastors or churches who are trying to uh, be in that kind of progressive sphere uh, to reach potential folks mm. who are kind of interested in this, asking these same questions? Ooh, well, yeah, I'm not a pastor. So this seems a little out of my wheelhouse. I, I think where I'm coming from is more of somebody who's trying to, you know, read the room as far as how, how, <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, this is it. my really honest answer. What we need to be talking about is, uh, is, is evangelical Christianity over hmm. in the United States? Um, I think it's on its way out and I, I don't, think the church is going to recover from the public oh. political witness of the past yeah. four years. I do not think so. And so on Twitter the other day, I actually asked the question of people like, hey, if you're not from the U.S., what's yeah, your perception of uh, yeah. evangelical Christians in America? And I would encourage people to go read the responses because uh, it's real. And so I think um, shepherding the dying of this movement as well as you can mm -hmm. is going to be good. And then just being excited for, I would say there might be some new stuff mm -hmm. birth, which would be cool. But again, what I was kind of going back to is like, we, we might also just get to join and partner with committed Christians who've been doing this mm -hmm. work the whole time and haven't been beholden uh, to politics in the same way. So um, I guess that's what I'd say. I do attend a church now that has a lot of like, evangelical uh -huh. trappings but is not evangelical and they one of the best things they did was they really decided we want to be a trauma-informed okay. church so we want to be a place where everything we do is understanding of how people have maybe experienced yep. trauma with a lot of this religious language and it's been it's been awesome to see how that little i don't want to call it a little tweak but like that awareness has done so much to create a safe place for people to say, I still mm -hmm. really want to follow God, but um, I'm not sure I will be, you know, Christian enough. And, and so just creating a lot of a place where you can be like, no mm -hmm. expectations. We understand if this isn't great for you, like even doing things like communion, you can say like, there's yeah. no pressure to take communion. Yeah. This is why we do it. If you don't want to do it, please don't do it. Like, that seems like a little thing, but if you're like me and come from a church where communion was always prefaced by this guy saying like, we're miserable <laughs> wretches that yeah. we need to come before yeah. God right now and take the blood. And, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to have a pastor say like, mm -hmm. this is no pressure. This is yeah. just a sign of us, you know, in Jesus's last meal and here's how we connect to it. So stuff like that. I'm like, this is going to be great if we can actually prioritize the needs 
of people who say, this is how mm. I've been hurt. This is where I've been excluded. If we can prioritize them, we're all going to benefit from that, I think, in a church Good. setting. Great. Well, thanks for that answer. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with D.L. Mayfield. And uh, you can take these questions, these closing questions, as seriously or not as you'd like to. If you are Pope for a day, is there one thing you would like to do? Oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> as a non-Catholic, this is a really funny question. Well, someone answered it the other day, um, like imagining they're Pope of evangelicalism. So be creative. Oh, I would just like to uh, give away all the wealth of the church. And, you know, make women able to there be priests. I guess go. that's it. Do you have a uh, <laughs> do you have a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Yes. I'm actually, my next project is a book about Dorothy Day, speaking of popes. Uh, so I, I really love Dorothy Day. And... I would really like to chat with her in person. She was the founder of yeah. the Catholic Worker Movement. All right. Well, we'll have to have you on then for Dorothy Day book. Thinking about, you know, we're in this kind of, uh, some scholars talk about the church going through huge cycles every 500 years. And some people think we're in one of those cycles. What do you think history will, will remember us for in this time and place? When you say us, who do you mean? American Christianity. Oh, yeah. They are going to say... Well, they are going to say, what in the heck were you thinking? Um, and we will be remembered as propping up so much injustice in the name of just seeking mm. a little bit of power. I mean, I've been doing some research on, um, you know, yeah. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany. And I know that sounds almost cliche at this point. And yet there's some, there's, some real reasons why we mm -hmm. should study it. I was just thinking about how I grew up, you know, evangelical and my parents are really into Corey yeah, Ten Boom, yeah, yeah. which is a great story. You know, she's a German Christian who, who hid Jewish people in her house and went to mm -hmm. concentration camp. But uh, so growing up, I thought, you know, the Nazi party was, were all atheists. There were some good Christians right. who helped Jewish people and then they right. were hurt. Right. And now we know that's yeah. obviously not the case. The vast majority of Germans were good yep. Protestant yep. European Christians. And so I'm actually reading this book of um, oral histories done with German women in the eighties. So this is like okay. what, 30 yeah. years, 40 years after the Nazi regime fell, but women had never been talked to as like mm. serious people like of course nazi officers had been talked to but the women were left overlooked and yet the women were the ones who propped up oh, wow. this regime and let it happen and and so i've been looking at their oral histories and just seeing a lot of like i was just a good christian and i was just really you know focused on taking care of my family and um you know i had no idea it was so bad because you can't really trust the news and all, you know, there's a lot going on that is very similar yeah. to today. Um, and, you know, Hitler promised to keep their religion yeah. going. And he, he was not anti-Christian, like, like I've been told. And in fact, he, he really um, 
pandered to Christians. And so I, I just see a lot of those similarities. I would love it if the white evangelical church can make a U-turn and yet all the polls and all the mm-hmm. studies, you know, show that that's not going to happen. And so uh, there's, there's a lot of people leaving yeah. evangelicalism right now. And so, you know, more of the question is probably like, what, what's, what new thing is, is going to come out of this? It's going to mm-hmm. be way smaller and it's not going to be tied to yeah. seeking political power. Uh, and I'm excited for that. So, but the, the similarities to, to Germany. Have are, you are read or heard of, I'm not going to say her name, right? Uh, Dorothy Soleil. So uh, I'd recommend her. I read her a little bit in graduate school. Um, a German liberation theologian who t- coined the term, I don't know if I'll say this right either, but Christofascism. Oh, I do need to read that. <laughs> okay, I will go look it up. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I have a website, dlmayfield.com, and uh, you can find both both of my books, you know, wherever you like to buy your books. I always tell people, uh, you know, try and get your local library to carry my book and, mm. you know, read it that way because I love libraries. Um, I am pretty active on Twitter as DL Mayfield. I'm also on Instagram and yeah, that's, I'm, I'm all over the place, I guess. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I always, I always have people, I leave people with a word of peace. So peace be with you. Thank you so much. I receive that. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks and go in peace.